0: always a delight to to note somebody's surprise when they're being put into a pulpit unsuspectingly very warm welcome to you and to this debate today Um, just draw your attention everybody should have one of those to next week's debate um, which is on the government's proposals for the reform um, of appointments and particularly as they touch upon the crown um, in the Church of England and we have speaking Uh, the recently retired Regis Professor of History from Oxford, Henry Mayor Harting, and um, Pete Broadbent, the Bishop of Wilsdon, whose views um, are always strongly expressed. And um, you'll be most welcome um, next week. It's my delight um, to welcome to chair today's debate uh, my friend Keith Robertson. I would call him a friend since he's the General Secretary of the Diocese of London um, and was also at one time Secretary of the Stock Exchange. Keith.
1: Thank you and good afternoon everybody and welcome to the latest of these debates at St LeBeau. Today we discuss the duties exacted after death, the case for inheritance tax. With the Chancellor's budget only one week away, um, am I right on that? Uh, The subject of inheritance tax is a highly uh, topical mound and it's a contentious issue as you know. Indeed inheritance tax has dominated the headlines since last autumn when the shadow Chancellor announced that the Conservatives would raise the threshold to a £1 million. If I could just say, uh, as a Secretary of course, there's one way out of inheritance tax, and that's by leaving all your money to the Church of England. Um, but that's my last plug. <laughs> According to a report in last Saturday's edition of the FT, a survey of the UK taxpayers by McIntyre-Hudson claimed that ahead of the budget, inheritance tax remains the top priority for reduction. The survey found that 83% of those polled now consider it to be unfair. Others have argued that Conservative pledges are unsustainable and that individuals and society do best when everyone has the same financial start in life. Therefore, thresholds should not be increased ensuring that a work ethic is installed in the next generation, rather than merely relying on inherited wealth. Grappling with some of these issues is what our two speakers are charged with today. And I'm delighted to welcome Will Hutton, Chief Executive of the Work Foundation, an independent research-based consultancy, which focuses on issues surrounding the workplace and employment issues here in the UK. Will was previously editor-in-chief of The Observer, where he still writes a weekly column. In recent weeks, Will outlined his views on taxation, arguing the importance of a city culture that accepts its obligations to society, along with its privileges, in which paying tax is regarded as a civic obligation and not selfishly resisted. Mark Field was first elected Conservative MP for the cities of London and Westminster in 2001. Previously, he practised a solicitor in Freshfields before setting up a successful publishing and recruitment business here in the city during the 90s. With a keen interest in economic matters, I'm sure Mark is ready for all our questions regarding his party's plans for inheritance tax. So without further ado, can I ask Will to begin the debate?
2: Well, thank you very much. And um, it's only the first time in my life I've been in a pulpit although most of my critics spend say I clamber into one every Sunday when I write my column in the Observer um, anyway here I am in a real one rather than a metaphorical one um, I think the I think the issue really is uh, how does one live a life well uh, and I think the question of how one lives a life well is uh, anyone who has a um, faith or a religious vocation understands that question well and um, but in some respects, it is um, the question which is every human being alive asks him or herself: you know, what are the moral compass by which one makes decisions? Um, how does one um, uh, how how does one relate to others? And over the last 25 or 30 years, I mean, the answer to the question "How does one live a life well?" has been to say, "Well, you must do it individualistically." And uh, uh, you don't need to be—I um, think—whether it be a one-nation Tory, um, whether it be kind of me, a kind of liberalish fellow, um, mildly on the left and we, we aren't—that we ask the same question, and you can't get very far in an answer um, without saying that the circumstances in which one finds oneself socially <clears throat> uh, are, and the um, and how others impact on you Uh, are likely to have profound consequences on your capacity to live your life well. And um, one of those um, phenomena um, is the question of wealth and uh, inherited wealth. Uh, Every civilization um, since the dawn of history um, has wrestled with the fact that um, it is a very, very natural human instinct for... um, mothers and fathers and grandfathers and grandmothers um, to pass on to um, children and grandchildren um, uh, wealth and property to those whom they who they love um, the trouble is is that that isn't uh, all that goes on because the, that individualistic act of um, love of uh, passing on the dint of your brow to your dna a very natural and proper instinct, and one, one which is un- uncontainable and shouldn't be contained, does have a very substantial impact on others and their capacity to live a life well. Um, <clears throat> and uh, it was for that reason that the Romans had uh, what um, we would call an inheritance tax. Um, it was why feudal um, Europe um, had a notion of inheritance tax when uh, um, any member of uh, the nobility died. Um, His son had to pay a vassalage to the crown to carry on holding um, uh, land. Land is, we had this idea of freehold in Britain, of course, that that notion of freely held land, a very passionate part of our English inheritance. Um, When it was passed on from one generation to another, you got the right to hold it by paying some kind of fee. Because, of course, the impact of uh, accumulations of land and property have very substantial impacts on others. If you have um, greater states, uh, the capacity for the successful young farmer in an agrarian society um, to acquire um, land and a farm is greatly diminished because you simply can't get it off the Duke or the Lord. Um, and thus it's been that actually all societies have asked this question. And uh, recently, um, those who have a lot of money ask themselves the question, am I helping my own children live a life well if I pass all my assets on to them? Um, a couple of friends of mine, both of whom I started in the city longer than I like to think about, we used to meet actually in a, in a pub every Thursday. And both of them have gone on to make more than 100 million pounds, I haven't. Um, but um, one of them uh, who I was talking to recently Announced to me that he and his wife, having paid for their children's education uh, and left them as uh, graduates without any um, burden and bought them their first house, felt very strongly that was enough. That actually to offer more uh, than that would be to, in some sense, um, uh, corrupt their children. And whether you, if you see the Marcus of Blandford or you see Paris Hilton, and you can see how the expectation that um, your parents are going to leave you a lot of money actually has a fantastic corrosive impact on you. It doesn't really have a corrosive impact on you, it has a corrosive impact on others because they don't have the same opportunity. And um, it's for that reason that there are some people like Nigella Lawson, who was recently quoted in newspapers as saying that she's going to do the same as this friend of mine, and indeed, um, um, uh, uh, Warren Warren Buffett and Bill Gates and senior neither of whom are going to leave their kids very much not that Bill Gates has to worry very much but um, and there are those of course who want to create a dynasty so that in a 400 years time their bloodline will have all their money and more the kind of Rupert Murdoch instinct and the question we have to ask ourselves is we ask the question what is a justice society and how are we as the um, citizens of this society to live our life well, what view do we take of those who want to build up um, these personal dynasties? And my view is, is that we should be highly skeptical. Um, the first argument is, is that I think that um, if we want equality opportunity, um, it's, uh, you, want, uh, you want the runners and riders in the race of life um, to have as much um, equality at the beginning certainly of their lives as possible. And already in Britain, there's vast kind of inequality through everything through just the fact of having an educated upper class, middle, middle class parent is a hugely advantageous thing to you. If your parents stick together, it's a hugely advantageous thing to, to have money on top. Um, the race is won before the gun is even fired. And that means that people trying to live a life well um, are huge disadvantaged even at the first instant. I think the second thing and more and as importantly, there's a friend of mine who, um, uh, he's a farm, rents a church England a farm, 600 acres just um, in Essex. And I was driving around with him. He was, my son was working on his farm over there. And he said, I know it's ridiculous, but I took a decision to farm um, when I was, uh, he's a Tory voter actually. I took a decision to farm uh, when I was in my twenties. I never thought, I never thought he's my age, that actually when I look at the, um, at, at the city, that it wouldn't just be that, you know, I'm making 50,000 from my farming and that's pretty good actually. But, you know, there are people not making, you know, quarter million, half million. People are making five, ten, fifteen million a year. And, and I said, I know it's irrational, but I feel devalued thereby. And I said, it's just not irrational at all. I mean, there's, I mean, there's novels, plays, psychological evidence, sociological evidence. That's the way people feel. I mean, de Tocqueville wrote about it when he went to uh, America in the 19th century, his great book, Democracy in America. The great thing about America, he said, was equality of condition. It didn't matter that um, two men might be uh, in different places in the status in America. They both thought their children would have an equal opportunity to get on. It was what, what de Tocqueville called equality of condition. And I submit in a society which is very stratified by great accumulations of wealth, and property passed on between uh, father and son, mother and daughter, um, over generations with no intervention in some form of inheritance tax. You don't get equality of condition. You don't get a democratic culture. And I think people feel psychologically and psychically and diminished. And then of course there's impact on entrepreneurship. And one of the reasons why um, Britain, uh, Britain's managers in, in small and medium sized enterprises are so indifferent report London School of Economics, is that over 70% of them are um, owner-managers having inherited the firm from their parents. And of course, they're not very good managers, and they sit there squat, um, preventing the uh, meritocratic people beneath them from getting a, from having to run the firm um, because they own it. And if we had an inheritance tax which forced companies to be um, sold or passed on, you might get more um uh dynamic m- managers running the vast numbers of firms and there's half a million companies in britain uh you know, it's not all the FTSE 350 that occupy it's there's half a million companies in britain and this long tail of companies are um, really running differently because they are the personal fiefdoms of uh the owner largely because they're protected by our very generous inheritance tax rules, which are, even before the concessions that the Tories proposed in September and which the Labour Party are going to are going to kind of follow through within the budget next week, uh, are amongst the most relaxed in Europe. So I say that um, our inheritance tax regime um, is almost too lax. There's only one in 2,000 people inherit more than a quarter of a million people. Uh, and what's happened over the last uh, 20 years is that those numbers have increased, but I would say that they need to increase more. I would propose that actually we need to look at how much capital gets passed to um, children um, over a lifetime. And I think we should, uh, I think we should take a, a leaf out of the Swiss book, um, which has an annual small annual wealth tax. And anyone who's spending time in Switzerland knows that it is not a socialist place, it is a republican capitalist democracy where um, Swiss citizens really feel very passionately about um, their country and very passionately they live in a place which has equality of condition and equality of opportunity. And I I think that is much more a kind of model to be looked to rather than um, trying to develop an aristocracy of um, the wealthy and a serfdom of the the unpropertied, in the name of actually the freedom to pass on property from one generation to another. I'm not saying um, that the amounts that the state should take should um, be very great. Um, I think they should be enough to break up estates, and you're still going to have very substantial sums of money being passed on from one generation to another, uh, uh, as is proper in a capitalist society. The question is where you actually strike the balance. Do you strike the balance so that we have uh, so we create vast accretions of, of, of property. Um, the 24 English Dukes uh, own more property today than in 1895 as a result of their capacity to shelter themselves from inheritance tax. It was a brief period after the war when they were exposed to it, and the National Trust is the beneficiary. Um, we don't. The National Trust does not get so many bequests now as it used to. Why? Because inheritance tax um, is so is so lax, and even laxer because you can shelter the stuff offshore. We would not have the pleasure that bring many people... Of seeing our great houses um, open to the public because they were obliged to give them um, it, uh, or to rent them out for part of, or to make them available to the public for part of the year, which was uh, the other way that you could um, get around the rules. Um, instead of which, we're seeing closure, which we're seeing um, um, the, the, the property and um, being able to say well we don't even have to open the house for one or two weeks a year now or we'll make the park available for people um, at bunk holidays on on Sundays which is the condition for many of our stately homes we don't do that at all because we can avoid inheritance tax in and that's the Tory party and their Labour um, followers um, there'll be there'll be more of that in future not less I think uh, I think it's a great tragedy that so many people regarded as uh, uh, something which is in, impacts when then personally I mean frankly it doesn't um one only wants the state to have um a part a slug even at even at its greatest when estate duties was taking six percent of all tax revenue uh and that's only um in the late in the in the 40s and 50s uh the <clears throat> amount of the proportion of um a million pounds that was left um it was still that a, a third would fall to the state and two-thirds the private individual that was at the peak and I'm not arguing that we should even go back there but I do think um that um we defend the principle and actually it would be great if the if uh the liberal conservative like Mark could um today say well actually he agrees in part with what I say and his party are actually barking up the wrong tree on this one over to you
3: I fear it would be a very short debate indeed if I were to agree with everything that was said, but there are indeed a number of strands in Will's argument that I want to come back to later on, much of which I do have a lot of sympathy with, both basically in relation to uh, his over theme, I suppose, that how does one live a life well. But my opposition to inheritance tax really predates my entry uh, to Parliament, uh, although until recently my Conservative colleagues were perhaps keen to disassociate themselves from any accusation they were protecting the interests of the rich and the privileged that many uh, went along with the somewhat outdated view that inheritance tax is paid only by a wealthy minority. Thankfully, last autumn saw our leadership brave the worst kind of class war rhetoric to raise what is in my view a very important issue again. Now, death duties have been with us here in the UK in some form or other for around 200 years. The common perception has always been that it is a levy on the very wealthy, affecting only a relatively few people, as though those two parts uh, were one and the same thing. Now, the £3.6 billion that it raised in the last full tax year um, comes from around about 6% of estates that it touches. That represents little more than a week's spending on the National Health Service. Now, the reason that its revenue is so small is not simply down to the portion of the people it directly affects. It is because the truly wealthy are able to employ innovative tax specialists to advise them on every last loophole, or simply to relocate in order to live a more favourable tax regime, leaving the burden to fall predominantly on those on moderate income. Now, The sharp rise in house prices in recent years has pushed many of the more hard-working families over the inheritance tax threshold, making tax this particular tax, one of the most unpopular and unfair that is now levied on the public. Any homeowner, not just in my constituency, but I suspect um, in much of London and the South East alone, is likely to be affected. And indeed, I have received correspondence from constituents who fear they will now have to sell their family home to pay a tax man after a partner's death, particularly when virtually all of that wealth is tied up in in a, a family home. One constituent in her 80s wrote to me recently She'd lived all her life with her sister here in their London home. When either she or her sister dies, the property will have to be sold, as they will not be able to benefit from even the Chancellor's new £600,000 joint allowance. These are not, by any stretch of the uh, the imagination, very rich people. Now, anybody living in the capital knows that £300,000 alone will only just about buy you a two-bedroom flat uh, in East London, or the smallest of studios in Westminster or here in the city. The rise in house prices is so significant that the number of estates paying inheritance tax has doubled over the past decade. Now conservative free market arguments can be employed to make the case for inheritance tax of course. The more wealth that people inherit the more likely they are to quit the labour market. There can be, as I think Will pointed out, some very unintended uh, legacies as well as uh, intentional bequests which as they are unplanned would be unaffected by inheritance tax. The cost of abolishing inheritance tax could increase tax in other areas that would be more harmful in reducing the incentive to work than inheritance tax, and and so on the arguments can be made. They would have some weight if we were talking solely about the inheritance of wealth from the extremely wealthy. However, today we're no longer talking about such groups. The sums that people would inherit uh, were they not affected by inheritance tax would in the most case cases not be huge, and certainly would not make the inheritor so rich that work could become optional. And I want to come back to the the super-rich later on, but I suspect Will's example of the the two who've made £100 million are very much the exception rather than the rule, although I very much salute uh, the approach that they have taken to the uh, disbursement of their own wealth uh, when the time comes uh, for them to pass on. But we are talking I believe about people who will have to sell family homes and as such it's clear that inheritance tax is no longer serving its purpose to prevent the entrenchment of significant wealth for the few. I believe that the tax does need to be reviewed far more thoroughly than this government has already done but I believe that there's a serious case to be made for scrapping the levy entirely. Now I wanted really to address the other side of the equation which was brought up in the autumn in relation to Uh, non-doms. And this passage, I suspect, may do a little more to warm uh, Mr Hutton's heart than uh, what I've just said. Because just as the middle classes shoulder the burden of inheritance tax, so there is a very growing sense, particularly in London, that they have paid an unfair cost for the influx of wealthy non-domiciled people here into the UK. Not only do I believe that inheritance tax must be abolished, but I think now is the time to return to a broader debate over the desirability of allowing internationally mobile, high net worth individuals to avoid making any contribution to the domestic income tax regime. As an inner London MP, I've watched the influx of overseas money distort house prices and the cost of middle class living to the very severe detriment of many indigenous Londoners. This group is beginning to feel they are more than paying their way in collective taxation, yet at the same time are witnessing a marked diminution in the quality of their life. This unease is not a throwback uh, to the politics of envy, and I again refer to the example of, uh, of the Essex farmer, Tory voting Essex farmer, um, uh, who's a longstanding acquaintance of wills. I don't think this is the politics of envy, far from it. This is a very much an aspirational and a meritocratic group whose resentment is being stoked up by the perception of unfairness. The two issues of inheritance tax and the taxation on non-DOMs have been linked in people's minds because of our proposed Uh, funding for the cut in inheritance tax uh, with a flat charge on non-DOMs who wish to keep their income offshore. That debate I think has followed hot on the heels uh, of that over the preferential tax rates enjoyed by those working in private equity. It is essentially a middle class revolt over the increasingly unequal rewards to labour. To their surprise, many highly educated professionals working outside the gilded corridors of the financial services sphere see themselves as losing out as the world becomes more integrated and interdependent. The worrying level of overdependence on the financial services sector for this nation's well-being makes some action, in my view, over non-DOMs quite desirable. I welcome the recent climb down by uh, Chancellor Darling over his ill-advised proposals. Uh, I don't be- uh, believe that retrospective taxation is justified, and the intrusive demands for details of overseas earnings and the uncertainty heralded by the government's Uh, ill-thought-through draft legislation in this area did risk undermining the UK's international competitiveness. However, I have also noted with some concern the shape the debate on non-DOMs is taking. The prospect of less clement economic weather, especially in the financial services sphere, has led many commentators to question the wisdom of any tariff being imposed on non-DOMs. It seems to me that once the argument is accepted that a sector, and its participants are so important to this nation that they should be exempt from paying a reasonable share towards the communal income tax pot. Where do we stop? It is, of course, worth stressing at this point that even the high net worth uh, non-DOMs do contribute extensively via council tax, value-added tax, and employment taxes on the array of staff to the Treasury. But it is their status that exempts them primarily from taxation on their overseas earnings. And I should also point out that the great majority of those non-domiciled uh, in the workplace are relatively modestly remunerated. For them, a flat rate charge amounts to a substantial imposition potentially on their overseas earnings, on their overall earnings. But it is rarely from this quarter that any vocal complaint has been forthcoming. By contrast, in my role as the MP for the square mile, I have been feverishly lobbied by leading financial services players doing their best to convince me that anything beyond the status quo would result in a non-dom exodus of job-creating super-rich, from London to the cosmopolitan delights of Geneva or Frankfurt. And this, I'm afraid, I simply don't buy. For a start, the attraction to high-net-worth non-DOMs and their families of residing in London is probably worth uh, well, uh, well in advance of the annual tariff of 25000 or £30,000 is being proposed. Furthermore, if the levying of low to the point of zero taxes is so essential to job creation in the city, why is the case? for lower, more internationally competitive tax rates for all not being made in a far more forceful way within the political environment. It is, in my view, truly essential that the case for reducing levels of taxation should apply across the economy, not just to a gilded few whose special pleading all too often sounds like thinly disguised blackmail. The aggregate sums stand to be raised by an annual charge along the lines currently proposed on non-DOMs. Uh, working on the assumption, perhaps a a mistaken assumption, that none will be persuaded to leave these shores are pretty negligible. Uh, Meanwhile, no one disputes that we cannot and should not kill the financial services goose that lays such a golden egg to UK PLC. The prospect, however, of non-DOMs being seen publicly to pay their way will, in my view, help assuage many of these concerns without careering towards fully-fledged protectionism. I think it's already clear that political discourse in the United States of America is heading precisely in that direction. It's very interesting. I prepared words for this speech about a week ago uh, and was making reference to uh, two of the contenders left in the autumn presidential race in Barack Obama and Mike Huckabee who were eagerly positioning themselves as siding with the little man against the apparently unstoppable forces of globalization and one hears and reads much of what Hillary Clinton has had to say in the last few days, and she too seems to be jumping on this particular bandwagon. I don't criticize her for it. I think it is a, a great concern. It's a concern that we're seeing also in this country. And I very firmly believe we've not heard the last of this theme. And I think that uh, these issues of uh, uh, effectively, uh, one looks at the spoils of globalization, which for too many people outside financial services seem to be divided far too unequally. To that extent, I have uh, a certain strong agreement with uh, uh, the way in which uh, Will Hutton has made his argument earlier today that I do think these are going to be the big issues that we are going to be debating uh, in the decades ahead. Um, one looks at the importance of, uh, of India and China as two great economic superpowers of the future, perhaps not quite as great a superpower in, uh, in Will's mind as, uh, as in others uh, as regards to China at least. Uh, but uh, the spoils of globalization do seem to be very unequally distributed. Um, I'm very interested to hear what your uh, thoughts are on on this issue, but it strikes me that one of the reasons I favour abolishing inheritance tax is that uh, it doesn't affect the right people. If the super wealthy were to be taxed, I could see a strong economic uh, and moral argument for that. The real worry is at the moment uh, that that levy is one that hits uh, middle England, middle class people who can ill afford uh, to to lose um, their money on, 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 on passing on. Uh, I have also perhaps to say, as one small element of, uh, of, a, uh, of a personal um, reflection, I, for the first time uh, ten and a half weeks ago, became a father, and I suspect that uh, probably my outlook um, in relation to uh, these matters has uh, been somewhat uh, had a somewhat sharper perspective as a result of that, and certainly I think uh, it is one of the most natural aspects of life to wish to be able to pass on the fruits of your hard work. Uh, to your loved ones, uh, particularly uh, in a generation below. But with that, I look forward to hearing uh, your observations and uh, to continuing this debate.
4: I was always told I had a very loud voice and that I didn't need uh, amplification. I would like to say what my objection is to inheritance tax. It is that the people passing on wealth, such as it is, middle class people like me, not a great deal, um, have paid all their taxes up to the minute. They paid VAT, they paid um, income tax and all the rest of it. Bang, they die. There's the tax man again. What's left is now going to be... Raped to the extent of I can't remember what the current percentage is, and I think that's very unfair. Moreover, the the non movement of the threshold, which the Conservatives are at, at last addressing, has meant that as price as house prices have risen for these middle class people, particularly um, the the death duties have become more and more punitive, and I think that's extremely unfair. I, th- I think both sides are addressing that one, but I would like to see uh, death duties as I call them, inheritance tax, abolished completely. Um, I'd also like to have heard a little bit more from either of you or both of you about what's done elsewhere. I heard Switzerland mentioned, um, but I I don't know what's done in the US or other EU countries. Always be interested to hear what the comparison is. Thank you.
5: I'd just like to make a, the, follow, the following comments really, and that is obviously we we look for a, a fairer society generally um, and I think there's a lot in, in that argument i don 't want to you know overdevelop it, but we have a a sense of fairness in in the way we treat people within Britain. Now it strikes me that um, inheritance tax um, is is not actually in itself a fair tax because obviously it's be, you're being taxed possibly twice on, in fact, things which have, uh, uh, have happened in the, uh, in, in, in the past. In other words, your income in the past uh, has been taxed, and then, in fact, you end up paying another tax. But it, it seems that um, obviously to abolish it would be totally, uh, uh, would, not, would not be quite fair. And I, and I would suggest that perhaps we ought to be looking at taxation of, uh, of, on death in the same way as we look at. Uh, capital gains tax uh, and that is that these assets transfer ownership on in fact th- there are many escaped assets which which are in the, in your hands but you don't get taxed on i mean there's your pension scheme which you don't get taxed on there's your house which you don't get taxed on and you build up wealth in all these things um, there's an argument that that when in fact you die then in fact that that is a transfer of assets and it, it's then is subject to capital gains tax because you've already escaped that tax Um, so so that I think is one of the most uh, although there are obviously difficulties with that it it avoids this this kind of second um, tax situation Uh, but at the same time one also needs to look at the um, the the situation of capital gains tax and that is that we've currently just changed the system such that in fact uh, um, income um, from work is is now taxed differently from, in fact, income from capital gains. And I give, for example, the question that uh, um, we've now reduced the the rate on capital gains tax to 18%, uh, whereas, in fact, people are actually paying for working 40% uh, in tax. Uh, So there ought to be a a greater equality, so that there is a transparency right the way through. And in fact, assets, which like like, uh, um, you know, land and so on, would not then escape from from capital gains tax. A very quick one, how do we develop a sense of civic duty?
6: Uh, gosh, this is such a big subject and it's becoming a bigger subject. Um, I suppose in the last 30 years the whole argument of where we are today has got to do with housing and the lack of commitment by the government to build homes for people. It came to a climax in 2001 when there were less homes built in England than at any time since 1924. That is a disgrace. With a moral one and a political one. And as you have said, you pitched your argument towards the middle class, and that, in a sense, is the problem. We're looking at the situation from a top down perspective. Gordon Brown, Labor, since Labor is in government, has been reluctant to use the income tax system to tax on income and has tried to find other ways to gain tax Uh, and there's lots lots of stealth taxes the stamp tax which threshold has not been changed since labor came to power and therefore this whole is where it started and um, it has opened up the argument about the non Doms, etc. It's the whole idea of equality, and as Will has said, the uh, equality of condition. So, if we get back to looking at it as I feel we should do, just to sum up basically giving everyone, if you like, a start in life, but at the moment, to get to the starting line, to buy somewhere of your own is just impossible. I think, and finally, we should get away from the whole idea of buying somewhere and renting some something, which is employed in the continent. Switzerland is very much a rented society. And again, as I uh, read recently, this whole idea of the, t- the tax havens. Germany is sort of putting the bite on Switzerland about its tax haven, and Monaco is getting the same. So in a sense, it's a question of equality and looking at the matter from those who are less advantaged than ourselves. Thank you.
7: I uh, have to be a little bit careful because I'm afraid to say I am one of those fiendish advisers that advises on loopholes and inheritance tax to the uh, high net worth individuals. But one thing I would like to say in response to Will Hutton, and that is that um, the system that we have at the moment, I understand everything that you said and agree with it in part about fairness and civic duty, I'm also a priest when I'm not uh, wearing this suit. but. Uh, There is an issue with the system that we have in place at the moment which doesn't, by any stretch of the imagination, address the issues that you have raised. And I'll cite one example, which is that two years ago an additional tax was introduced by the government on inheritances received by children, well children, but. Basically, if parents try to delay the receipt by their children of their inheritance beyond the age of 18, there is an additional charge to inheritance tax. Well, that goes wholly against everything that you've said about the the rights and wrongs of children taking money. Basically, if parents try to do the right thing by deferring their children's entitlements to money, they end up with an additional tax charge which is wholly iniquitous. And, and over the top in my view. Having said that, I think this whole debate calls into question political issues about where money comes from. And you've mentioned a lot about the non-dom stuff, which actually has no, no direct bearing on inheritance tax at all. It's a completely other tax. Non-doms are subject to inheritance tax if they are here for more than seven, 17 years. Um, so inheritance tax affects them as well and would affect them if it were abolished completely. Um, but I agree with this gentleman as well in saying, perhaps a, a widening of the capital gains tax regime might be the way forward if you were to abolish the inheritance tax regime.
1: Thank you. Uh, we can give each of our speakers two minutes of start with Mark and then with
3: lovely. And um, to answer the last point, I mean, I think uh, The reason I mentioned uh, the non-dom issue, it it has been linked, obviously, in the current political uh, discourse with inheritance tax. Uh, But I think you're absolutely right about the unintended consequences of uh, messing around with the rules on accumulation and maintenance trusts to to such a degree that actually the the very things that Will was referring to uh, are being undermined. In other words, the parents can't say, well, I'd like like our children to receive money at 30 or 35 rather than uh, the moment they become uh, or they cease to be minors. Gentlemen, you talked about housing. Um, you're absolutely right, I, I don't want to make a narrow political point, because the house building has been very low for, for many years, not just since 1997, although it's reached a, a poor, particularly poor point. Some of that is down to planning. Uh, some of that, I think, is also down to uh, the fact, to be brutally honest, that many middle class homeowners don't uh, are quite happy with their situation, and they don't want to see a, a, a plunging in, in the value of their homes uh, if there's to be an, an oversupply. Um, from, 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 From their perspective, it's a supply and demand issue to a very large uh, extent. Uh, Although interesting, I think one of the broader issues that is coming through, and I hope to to touch on this at some point when we have this debate, is whereas the the dividing lines in British politics, I think, between 1945 right through to the end of the century were effectively on the basis of class, I think the dividing lines in domestic politics for the generations ahead will be on that issue, on generation. Um, And I'm very acutely aware, as a 43-year-old man, I left university 20 years ago at a time I didn't have to pay any fees. I got onto the housing ladder in London. It seemed pretty darn expensive in the late 1980s, but compared to nowadays, it really was nothing. And the tax burden was a lot lower. And I look and I speak to students who are 20, 25 years younger than me now, uh, and they're gonna have a much rawer deal. And I think this is a much, it's a bigger issue that I perhaps touched on in my immediate thoughts. I think there are some real concerns being addressed now, from an older generation that are particularly worried about how is it that their children can possibly match the lifestyle they've got without relying on a huge inheritance which is only the the super rich have got or uh, effectively working in the financial services or or related industries. And I think it's a very real problem, almost uniquely, uh, during a period outside of wartime, that you look upon the younger generation having a much less good economic deal going forward. Now, part of what you said, and you didn't quite touch on it, but I think you were alluding to it, was this obsession we have in this country with home ownership. Now, uh, that I think is a, one level of problem, one level it's a very positive thing, and I say that for this reason. Um, although I'm an Englishman, that only tells part of my story. My mother is German. And my forefathers are from a part of Germany that is now in Poland. And my grandfather had to leave, in, both in 1945 and then in 1954, from, from Breslau, Uh, and then from Leipzig. He had to leave everything he'd ever got, everything he'd ever earned and ever worked for, and had to leave with anything he could carry. Uh, And it was very difficult by his mid-50s to be able to make his way in life again. It is, I think, one of the great things about the stability of this country, the political stability, that we all feel that bricks and mortar is a good thing to invest in. And we feel that there isn't going to be uh, some pernicious, nefarious government that is going to steal that asset from us Uh, or indeed there is going to be great political upheaval. That's a very positive element about being an Englishman, um, and though I accept it it does have uh, some knock-on effects. The gentleman asked about how we develop civic duty. I have to say I, I very much agree with what my party leader has to say on this, uh, and I don't think it's just a soundbite when he says that he believes in society, but it's not the same thing as the state. And I, I do worry, from what Will Hutton was saying earlier on, the notion that—I mean, he was quite right to say there are some businesses, entrepreneurial businesses, that get passed down and frittered away by generations. But uh, the notion, however, so how that the state somehow should step in to control—it's not known for its great efficiencies in running business at the best of times. I do have to say, however, when I look at the Conservative policy, and I'm being very candid with all of you here, I do worry, I'm not sure that we have within our society the strength of a church, uh, the strength of the voluntary sector, uh, and indeed, working patterns are now so different that indeed the, the bulwark in the 19, well right through probably till the 1970s, maybe even the 1980s, of many of these voluntary organisations were relatively educated middle class women who were in the home looking after children and could afford to give time to charitable and voluntary organisations. That society model has changed beyond all recognition. So I think it is very difficult to build back this idea of a civic society. And the, the biggest worry I think in particular in some parts of Britain is that if you do say, right, let, let the voluntary sector hold supreme, that actually there's a massive vacuum, uh, and that it is that vacuum that the state has had to move into. So there needs to be a much more, I think, much more candor and much more honest thinking about how, how this will potentially develop. Going back to the point in, in relation to the importance of a fairer society, um, I believe that the, the, the tax uh, situation is a mess. Now, I'm sure the lady over there is quite happy for that. <laughs> It brings in very big fees, but joking aside, uh, it is an absolute mess that we have in, in this country at the moment. Um, a much lamented bu- budget from my perspective was the Nigel Lawson's 1988 budget, which tried to simplify, and in the longer term, his idea was, indeed, to ensure that the tax rates on income and capital gains would be equalised. And actually, fun enough, one of the things that in Alastair Darling's autumn review last year was a suggestion, at least, that we were moving in that direction. With c- capital gains tax coming down to 18%, the basic rate of income tax will be down at 20% as of the 5th of April this year, and I suspect the medium-term goal from any government, whether Conservative or Labour, will be at least to equalise the basic rate of income tax with capital gains tax going forward. Could I encourage you to? And you, I, I, Sorry. I, I've done my bit. I'll, I'll, Thank you. For listening to
0: will. Well.
2: I was just admiring this very beautiful church i think st mary le Beau is a brilliant place to both have a debate and to worship um i was delighted in uh some of the things that mark said I thought others to his rousing defense of taxing non-doms i hope he'll be kind of copied lock stock and four smoking barrels by alistair darling on march the 12th in his budget um i think on the question of uh this this rather this this tearjerker you know oh property prices have got so high We've got to look after our kids by passing on uh, our inheritance. The life expectancy of a 65-year-old in your constituency in Westminster is now, on average, 91. If you have your children when you're, you know, in your late 20s, early 30s, your kids are going to get help when they're 60. Your kids need to be helped when they're in their 20s and their 30s, and the way that's going to happen is um, two ways. One, um, I hope that people like me are going to win this argument and will introduce either tougher inheritance tax or some combination of inheritance tax. And I would say not so much capital gains tax, rental capital gains tax, but kind of lifetime capital receipts that will force people to sell their houses, perhaps, and increase the supply, and they can buy smaller places. I expect them, you Now I'm doing that now. My, 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 my kids are growing up, they're leaving, I'm selling my house, and I'm going to live somewhere smaller. I mean, you know, it's a natural thing to do, one buys and sells one hires over one's life. And th- I think that it would be a good thing if people were, inc- if were incentivized actually to sell more. That would bring prices down and help people in their 20s and 30s, rather than when they're 60. Um, on this question, sir, of, you know, it's not going to be you that pays inheritance tax when you die, uh, unless you've got um, capacities spiritual that I don't know of. Um, it'll be your descendants. Um, I've paid inheritance tax on both my grandfather and my great aunts' um, uh, bequest to me, and I was delighted to do so. As a result of it, um, there's there's uh, a lot more bits of property dispersed in North Oxfordshire where my family have been farming since the 11th century than there would otherwise have been, and it gives me a great pleasure actually when I walk, when I drive or walk past these bits. And, you know, that is the result of having to do it, of having to pay this. Net. And my grandfather and my great aunt, you know. Uh, the descendant paid the tax not them and still the greater part of it even in the tougher times when there were tougher tax the greater part of it was left for um, me my brother and my relatives then then it the, no one's saying the state should take everything the state should take a fair part and in the act of taking a fair part descendants have to break up estates and give people opportunity it's about the equality of condition and every society uh, has, has been doing it um, inheritance tax is not something which is peculiar to Britain. Um, someone asked about what the arrangements were elsewhere. There isn't a country which hasn't got some form of wealth tax or inheritance tax. As for civic duty, I think the best way to get civic duty you know, um, is twofold. You know, one is a, is a moral sense, it comes from within. Um, you know, um, in the absence of a religious or moral revival, the only other way I can think of is a demonstration effect. And that is those of us who are privileged in our society to be members of parliament or in leadership positions uh, um, have to show through the way they behave that they, they recognize the social and the civic. And my point is, is that and we've allowed in the last 20 or 30 years the rich uh, to have a tremendous sense of entitlement that um, actually we're, it's a great privilege for us to have the rich around. And, and if we don't look after them, they might leave, the kind of debate we've seen in this non-doms issue. And I agree with Mark, it's nonsense. And we need to we need to remind the rich that they are part of society too. And that actually we we need them to, to through their through their leadership to demonstrate that they take the civic seriously. And one of the best ways that they can do that is to accept the case for inheritance tax. Thank you.
1: Sure. <laughs> Thank you very much, and thank you all for coming, and thank you for your interesting uh, contributions. I'm very pleased that there isn't time for me to sum up, Uh, and so all I want to do now is to thank both our speakers, Mark and Will, for stimulating this debate. Thank you.